A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome, welcome to the second season of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's episode 41 and we're back in the house, yo. Uh, if you've never heard the podcast before, real quick intro, I would say. It's a music podcast, weekly, comes out every Monday. Thank you for listening and tuning in. Uh, myself, Cullen Regan and Craig Fitzpatrick all worked for Hot Press at one point and we became fast friends and we survived that experience. Now to bring you our weekly hour-long or thereabouts music podcast show that we do. And I think that about covers it, right, Cullen? Sounds about right to me. Okay, good stuff. Um, we don't have Craig this week. No. We have, in his place, because it, it, it wouldn't be uh, like the proper kickoff to season two if Craig wasn't here, or if Craig was here. You know, we, we need him to keep up his strange aloofness. True, yes, his enigmatic presence. But don't worry, uh, we have an able replacement in the form of returning guest, Zara Z-Dog Hederman. Hi! <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, since Zara was last on the podcast, she has become the reviews editor for State Magazine. So that's no encore. It's good for your health and your career prospects. Absolutely. Congratulations on that role. Thank you. How are you finding it? Yeah, I really love it. It's uh, it's nice to, like ro- talking to other other writers, emailing them, getting my puns out further. Before we go any further, by the way, because no encore is so good for your health and your career, I'm guessing people would like to be present for a recording themselves. What are you talking at some about? Point. What yes. I'm talking about is no encore live. <gasps> no way. Oh. Way. You're kidding. 2nd of March. Where? 2017 at the Workman's Club. <gasps> no encore is going to be recorded in front of a live audience. With real people there? With real people. With real music chat? 
with real music chat and in will fact, there be some guests. even some special guests get out of town oh. we can't tell, say any more on that for now but stay tuned because yeah it is going to be the event of well at least the first quarter of the year am i going to be there well, I bloody well hope so. Are okay. you going to be there, Colm? I will. Oh, I hope Craig turns up this time. Sherlock, <laughs> if he doesn't. Stop saying Sherlock. That word, that, that expression has to go away. I, I hate it. Okay, so <laughs> Thursday the 2nd of March, Workman's Club. Please come along. It's going to be awesome. And we will have more details for you soon on just how awesome indeed. So, yeah, um, without Craig here, though, I mean, like he usually gives me a, a pun, uh, a name-based pun nickname. Well, I was just thinking there, because Craig isn't here, can you believe it? No. It's all right. We've had better. Mm. Uh, you might you may have noticed as well. You know, I, I guess we're, we're we're doing some spring cleaning already, and we have new intro music. That was uh, "Move" by Bantam, a friend of the show, a terrific song, and that's our new intro sting music. Which would lead me to say thank you very much to my good friend David O'Brien, aka Envoy, who previously provided our last season's intro music. And if you go to Google and type in Envoy and Bleached Apostle and give his album that went out at the end of November a listen, I think that would be payment indeed, and it's a terrific listen. So thank you, Dave. Thank you, Rory Bantam, for giving us our new music. I'm very, very happy with it. And indeed, thank you, Rory, for uh, the gig uh, at the end of last year. Yeah. Pre-Christmas show was fantastic. Dave almost made a new friend. <laughs> you know me, man. Uh, it was a great gig. It was in the Bellow Bar. And at one point, I went to the bathroom, as one does throughout a gig after you've had a few pints. And uh, there I am. I'm at the urinal. Is it urinal or urinal? Urinal, I think. Urinal, okay. Yeah. I'm at the urinal. And um, I'm, I'm not to get too into, you know, weird, weird graphic things here. The but mechanics. Like, yeah. yeah, the mechanics, the logistics of it all. I'm more of a cubicle guy. You know, I, I don't think that's re- getting into the mechanics. To be honest, I just feel more, you know, myself. I suppose in a in, in that kind of a situation. So you know, there was this don't guy. Feel too much of yourself in there, mate. <laughs> there was this guy standing next to me at the urinal, and you know, he was quite animated, and it was I couldn't quite get into the zone. You know, and eventually he turns to me because of course, you know, and he goes, "You seen this guy before about Bantam?" And I was like, "No, no, first time actually." And he goes, crowd out there, man. It's fucking wet. And I went, um, and I thought he meant the Craig Fitzpatrick use of the word wet. As in attractive. So I went, yeah. I said, I guess there are lots of attractive women here. Fair enough. Kind stranger. (laughs) And he goes, no, man. He goes, people fucking sitting down. Like, not moving. At a techno gig. Now, it should be pointed out at this point that it was blatantly not a techno gig. No. no. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm one of those people who's sitting down with my legs crossed, as you pointed out. And I'm having a great time with my mates. Mm. And he goes, wouldn't get that in London. So, yeah. And I, I have to say, I quite enjoy a sit-down gig, though. Sometimes. Yeah, I get where he's coming from, but like at the same time, it was, it was quite a chilled-out gig. Yeah, it depends mm. what. I know a guy who once travelled to play a set in Japan. He's mm-hmm. a DJ, and he is actually a techno DJ. A Johnny Boy. And uh, yeah, they all sat down on the dance floor to watch him mix. Okay. You don't want that. No, you, you don't, don't want, want that. that. But to be fair, this guy wasn't enough of a cliche. So as he went to leave, finally, uh, he said to the person who was queuing up for the cubicle, you know, solidarity, man after my own heart right there, and said to him, uh, are you queuing up to go to the bathroom, mate, or are you queuing up to do drugs? And your man goes, I'm just waiting to go to the bathroom. And then your man goes, all right. And then he came back to where he was and just did coke in front of me. Because oh, it wasn't wow. enough of a cliche, I suppose. Right up. So, uh, great gig, though. <laughs> Very enjoyable. We had fun. Yeah, yeah good Christmas, guys. Yeah, I had a really nice Christmas. I uh, got to announce the death of George Michael to a table full of strangers. 
That's quite something. Wow. And it took about 0.9 seconds before someone made a last Christmas gag. Yeah, that'll happen. Oh, no, I was in there straight away. Straight away? I found out and I sent it to my family uh, text group and my two oldest sisters adored him. And I just sent, sorry, lads, George is gone. It was his last Christmas. Straight off the bat. You see, I actually immediately went for a he's never going to dance again joke. Yeah. Rather than the last Christmas. So, you know, whatever. I think Cullen wins this I was careless. You are careless. Right. I mean, well, the one thing I would say, obviously, George Michael, you know, like, real quick, not to get into a big obituary or anything, but I think we're all fans. I think he was awesome. It's a very, very sad story. Mm. And what I would say, though, is if you're the kind of cretin who is going to put out a the top 16, you know, sh- most shocking celebrity deaths of 2016 on your horrible shithouse clickbait website that you want to launch in order to get famous, at least have the fucking decency to spell the man's name correctly, yeah? Thanks. Do they mess up on Michael? Yep. And Leonard Cohan... But hey, it doesn't matter, does it? It's not about spelling and grammar anymore, is it? It's about no. clicks. While we very quickly talk about lists. Fucking um, bullshit. <laughs> Dave nailed a list this week, uh, or at least to some people's tastes. I did. Um, yeah, I wrote the top uh, 10 worst songs of 2016, which I'm pretty sure I was fairly grammatically on point. And I think it was on point in my selection as well. But it did ruffle a few feathers, Cullum. It did. Mm. You got uh, quite a bit of criticism. I got a bit of criticism because my top two choices, uh, which I stand by, by the way, were Picture This and uh, Key West. And um, a gentleman on Twitter kind of had a go. And I believe this gentleman was, in fact, a contender on The Voice of Ireland Hmm. at one point. So, you know, the man has experience in the industry. Fair enough. Take your shots. Uh, He said that he was uh, filled with someone else's negativity after he read it and said, thanks, I think. So I wrote back in Block Capitals and went, you're most welcome. (laughs) Which led to him sending me a YouTube video of the stereophonic song, Mr. Writer. <laughs> you know, I mean, which, and I just wrote back and went, uh, yeah, it probably is their best song, even if it is Kelly Jones that is most hilariously petulant. He then noted mm-hmm. that it was probably a bit close to home for me with a wink face. <laughs> so at this point, I was like, all right, gloves are off. And I said, yeah, I do identify with accurately and reasonably uh, criticizing subpar music. He then called me a hack. I mean, like, if you're going to fucking throw me like this, like Kelly Jones that is most insecure one of the most laughably, like, responses to criticism you've ever heard in your life and then try and use that as if it's some kind of tool against me. I'm sorry, mate, but I was completely in the right and I maintain that I am right now. All right. Cool. If you want to see the rest of that list, it's on <laughs> headstuff.org right now. We're not going to move a million that miles... That Key West song is shocking, mate. We're but not going to move a million miles away from Twitter. If you think about it, as uh, our good friend Diplo would say, ain't no greater compliment than a hater. He is a good friend. But uh, as you say, Colin. Yeah, we're not going to move too far away from Twitter to start the news for this year. Donald Trump is trying to line up uh, the gig uh, at his inauguration and uh, it's causing some problems. He appears to be down to um, Rebecca Ferguson, runner-up of X Factor. and These uh, talent show people, man. And another, (laughs) yeah, losing contender on America's Got Talent. I mean, to be fair, people have said playing this gig would be career suicide. I guess it makes sense that the people you're being lined up to do it uh, don't really have careers. It's Mm. a murderer's row of snubs and declines, though, isn't it? Yeah. Can you blame them? Where do you start? Elton John has one of my favourite ones there, because, you know, Trump's administration said that he was playing it, Mm. and... Elton John's reps immediately went, no, <laughs> there's no truth to this. Uh, Elton John himself, uh, when he was asked about Trump using Tony Dancer during the campaign, he said, I'm not a Republican in a million years. Why not ask Ted fucking Nugent or one of those fucking country stars? They'll do it for you. Uh, Celine Dion, Kiss, surprisingly, aren't uh, distanced themselves from this. You would have thought that uh, 
Big Gene Simmons will be up there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned Ted Nugent, and obviously he is the outspoken one. Like, there's clearly got to be some Republican voters, you know, who are musicians, or there's got to be some musicians who are Republican voters. This, though, is... I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Jordan's moment where he was asked to speak out against uh, a guy running for Senate in North Carolina, basically a proven racist. This is back in about 1990. And, yeah, he was urged to come out in favour of the opponent, a black candidate, and Michael Jordan refused because uh, Republicans buy sneakers too. Whoa. Wow. But I presume, you know, Democrats buy records too. There have to be a ton of people who aren't going to play this gig because they know the damage it's going to do to their reputation. Yeah. Garth Brooks being one of them, it's all about serving, he said, uh, whatever that <laughs> means. Um, but, in ter- like, you know, like Ted Nugent is the kind of lunatic who has a gun holster in his guitar case, and... Mm-hmm. We, you educated me quite recently, Cullum, on a man who I think would play this. Of Brantley Gilbert, yeah. Can have that name again, please. Brantley Gilbert. Is this the man from the the covers band, the Mm-mm. Reagan years thing? No, it's not. Although I am familiar with these yeah. guys. Yeah, they only play songs from the Reagan yeah. years. But, <laughs> but no, Brantley Gilbert is a country musician who I saw play in Three Arena at Country to Country Festival a few years ago. And the, the 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 shoes you've walked in, he, the life you've led. He has two <laughs> enormous guns tattooed the whole way across his back. It's amazing. Along with, and he had that at the time, and I was like, "Well, that's the fucking most mental thing I've ever seen anybody get tattooed." <laughs> no, turns out it's not because now above the two guns, he and get has, the font. The font is like is like that affliction font that you'd see on like UFC hoodies and shit. Yeah. Oh my god. In that font, he has the entire Second Amendment. No, no, he has the word amendment, and then beneath it all, he has the entire Second Amendment yeah. scrawled out as well. It is the most, it is, it is an amazing piece of work. And you said that at that festival in Dublin, he was all... He, he, he went on a big rant about the Second Amendment, and oh, everyone in the crowd was just like, huh, what? Yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't really apply here, mate. Sorry, you've kind of lost us. But like, it kind of seems that the inauguration is just going to be like a country fest. Well, well no, like, what does he have? He has the Rockettes. Um, um, pretty much against their yeah, will. Yeah, they don't want to do it. so, yeah. They seem to be tied to some contract it. that they can't get out yeah. of. Yeah, I think, there's, like, I think it's left up to each individual one whether they do it or not. So he'll have some of the Rockettes, I guess. Um, Brilliant. What poster that must be? I think, I think there's a Mormon choir. Um, there's obviously like some marching bands from high schools and shit like that. Is he going to get fucking Lamb and Lynx from that Louis Thoreau documentary about like the Nazis? Well, we, we'll watch this space, I guess. It's about, uh, what, what, what is it, the 20th? So yeah, about yeah. 10 days' time. He's and, not getting, uh, we'll have our answers. He's not getting Justin Timberlake, Katy Perry, Bruno Mars. Apparently they all resisted a pay-anything tactic. Uh, Adam Lambert of Queen fame has also distanced himself quite, you know, on, on the fence style. And uh, Aretha Franklin, apparently, is, is also being circled, as are the Beach Boys. Having better luck with a promotional gig right now is Floyd Mayweather. He might have retired from boxing for a number of years, but the guy, I mean, he, he it, like, things just come to him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Soldier Boy and Chris Brown are apparently going to box in Las Vegas this March. Yeah, so this was the first beef of 2017 and it started off as usual beefs do when someone leaves a comment under a lady's Instagram picture and Chris was not happy. So the two of them have continued this spat. Um, It's kind of sad because uh, Chris Brown's, but like he's involving his child in it as well. He said, my son is five and he's already got so much more money than Soldier. So I would be sad. Now, thankfully, Carucci, the lady in the middle of all this, she has kind of, 
She's been responsible. She's distanced herself. And her response to this nonsense was, first off, the drama between the both of the, or excuse me, the both of these two is so ridiculous it makes no sense. There is so much more out there in life than Twitter beefs. I've been chilling, working, eating my veggies, hitting those squats and minding my own business. And that's exactly how I want to keep it. But no, the lads are going at it in the ring. Yeah, the lads are hitting the heavy bags instead. And apparently, yeah, are going to box 100 grand on the line this in Las Vegas. Happen. What's more, it they're is. saying it's on pay-per-view. You see, this is the thing. I would normally think, okay, this is all complete bollocks. Until Mayweather himself <laughs> looks like he wants to get involved here. Now, I mean, we know already from those incessant Conor McGregor fucking mouth flapping that's been going on that you know they can talk a big game and nothing happens but we we, we get great photoshops though that but, fool the public yeah but it's we, happening no it's not look at look at that fucking terribly designed poster but this would be fun wouldn't it three I rounds i would love to watch celebrity this. boxing <sighs> okay can we can we go full pro wrestling here can we get like a special guest referee i mean i guess so yeah hmm. still like, like, austin rihanna yeah, I mean, like, you know, you'll surely have, obviously, oh. people walking them into the ring and shit like that. No, if Rihanna gets involved, she's surely going to interfere one way or the other. Face or heel Don't turn. Don't give me that look. Who That's knows? a bad taste from me. I'd obviously support Rihanna in this situation. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, I don't know. I hope they get cool entrance music. Well, shoot, of, of all the things that should surely be taken <laughs> they care be of when two one musicians They shouldn't be allowed to pick one of their own songs, though. That's the thing. No. Yeah. Wrap themselves into the ring. Yeah. But be that's out of the breath thing. as they step like, through the ropes. They have to use their hands and their bodily force because their minds are so, like, degenerated that they that couldn't is, do that, this That is words. the greatest stupid boys fighting comment <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Not only that, but I'm, I can't wait to see that new Steven Seagal movie, Bodily Force. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be great. <laughs> Maybe he can be the special guest referee. No. Uh, it's all gone strange, though, to be fair. I mean, like, not a lot really happening in terms of substance at the moment. <laughs> but uh, the aforementioned Diplo, our friend, apparently, is going to be immortalized on screen by none other than Dawson Leary himself, James Van Der Beek. Um, fans of the sitcom Don't Trust the Bitch in Department 23 and the horrible CSI Cyber, as well as Dawson's Creek, uh, will be glad to see him back on the screens. He's signed on to executive produce, write, and star in a scripted drama titled What Would Diplo Do? This is sounding like, you know, that character in Little Britain, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme <laughs> tune. <laughs> Uh, Diplo is also involved, shockingly. Uh, Viceland, which I assume is a TV spin-off of Vice. No, yes. it's a yeah, it's a media group. Okay, there's only six episodes. Uh, it's the first scripted offering from the fledgling cable channel, described as Louis meets world star hip hop crossed with This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> the series will star Vanderbeek as a fictionalized version of Diplo, quote a guy who can bring sixty thousand people to their feet, but kind of sucks one on one. It's been overseen as well by Spike Jones. Yeah. Um, Spike, That's intriguing. Yeah, he said as well that uh, James came to Spike in the office to run some storylines by him, and Spike said that like a lot of them were really funny, and one actually got him a bit kind of wistful and emotional, which made it even more funny. Thing is, I mean, like I've, I've genuinely, I have a bit of confidence that James Vanderbeek could probably do a good I job. Think he's this. Good. I think he will do. I think he's yeah. actually yeah, I think really good. Will be good. Have you seen the rules of traction? Yeah, no. I have. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's that. very good. He and plays... I, I haven't seen Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. He's I've, really good in it. I've heard really good reviews. He plays yeah. a ramped up version of himself. That's exactly it. Yeah. And he's not afraid to make fun of himself. The, yeah. the problem here is that it's not actually about him. Mm-hmm. It's how much fun Diplo is going to be willing to make fun of himself. Good. Yeah, good point. And frankly, I mean, there are times that you look at the whole EDM world and you're like, if you start 
to joke about this, the entire thing is going to fall apart. It, it's it's just going to yeah, be... Yeah, the problem there is... I know some people liked it. I didn't find it very funny. Uh, that Lonely Island film that came out last year, uh, pop star Never Stop Never Stopping, Andy Samberg playing a Diplo-like character in that movie with lots of cameos and all the requisite amount of stuff. It just didn't It didn't have the script. It, did, it wasn't funny. And with comedy, it all comes back to the script. Uh, I think James Van Der Beek is really good and I will give it a go. Did you see the promo thing that came out in July where James Van Der Beek did the A Day in the life of Diplo. It's actually quite funny. Like, I watched it and then was reading about this. I was like, yeah, I think I'd be on board for this. It, also, is, it is actually quite funny. It should be said as well, though, that, like, it feels as though this could have been done by, like, a headline generator when you type in, <laughs> yeah. what TV show would Vice do? <laughs> it really does. As does the fucking Chris Brown Soldier Boy punch-up. Yeah. Maybe they can somehow, you know, amalgamate. Uh, in terms of comedy, I thought this one, uh, particularly got me giggling uh, in the past few days as we move on to music that has come out uh, very recently. Kanye and Ty Tiga. Tiger, 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 Tiger. Mm. Fair enough. They produced this. Feel me? The niggas ain't this. Feel me? Nine eleven on my wrist. Feel me? Not the time, but the whip, bitch. Feel me? Kylie Jenner, thick. You gotta feel me. Happy birthday, here's a Benz. Feel me? First, last name, rich. Feel me? Yeah, bitch, I'm shit. Feel me? We at the highest level, yeah, I know you feel me. I'm at the dealership, like, what's the dealin'? Yeah, so that's feel me. What, what is that? Um, I think it's Tiger just trying to scrounge up any kind of Kardashian-Kanye West association, especially because one of his lyrics is, Kylie Jenner, thick, you gotta feel me. Happy birthday, here's a Bentley. Feel me. Yeah, but like later, <laughs> later Kanye's like Kim Thick, something else. Where they're married though. I know, but listen, this. <laughs> what are you suggesting? Like that they're living in sin? <laughs> um, no. Do you know what it sounds like to me? Right, it sounds like the two lads have like said, "Oh, we're going into studio," and have spent the day like on the golf course or in a strip <laughs> club or something. And as they're driving home, have gone shit. We've got to have something to show the girls when we get back, and I've recorded this in about twenty minutes. Yeah. And I think as well, like. Tiger probably wants to sound really grimy and like cool, but he just said it sounds so dated and it's so clinically grimy that it's just farcical. And Kanye's in you know contribution to it almost sounds like his first draft at what he put on facts from the life of Pablo. Mm. It's almost the same inflection. It's quite similar lyric wise. Yeah, it's like I've seen people kind of like go like this is the first great joint of 2017 and it isn't. It's I don't think it's quite the car crash that you think it is, but it's certainly not very memorable. Um no. it it's I, I'm not even going to say it's a bit of a grower, but I will say that, you know, with repeated listens it does become a little bit more palatable. But no, it's a swing and a miss. Uh, I think for, uh, not one that will, you know, be sung around the Kardashian table come Christmas. No. What am I saying? <laughs> it's not It's not one that I think we expected no. to be a, a smash. But this perhaps could be the XX uh, had already released the first single from their forthcoming album, which is out at the end of this week, I believe. It is. Uh, the second yeah. single has now landed and it sounds like this. I do myself a disservice To feel this weak To be this nervous You say Feels so unfamiliar. You say 
correction corner from me because when we did the first single, I kept calling it "Hold On," but it was called "On Hold." Yeah. So there you go. It is. I am flawed. <laughs> I do make mistakes. But at least but, you can own up to it. But I pick myself up. Why do we fall, Master Wayne? So we can pick ourselves up. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Batman Begins recently. I don't think we've come back in. Dave. We have. Have we? Yeah. When? This is us back in. Oh wow! Keep going. Okay. Um. So the XX say something loving. What do we think? I don't like it. It grew on me. Um. I really like this track. Do you? I felt like they were going to burst into my endless love at one stage. Um, I mean, in keeping with On Hold, there mm. is something a lot more upbeat about this. It is Let me pause shiny this. and bright. Uh, writer for Pitchfork, Ian Cohen, on Twitter this week, when this came out, noted, this XX album is going to be their beauty behind the madness, isn't it? As I, in the big mainstream... We're, we're a pop yeah, band now. totally. Yeah, there, there's definitely a bit of that attached to it. No Which doubt. is fine. I mean, I don't want a third XX album that sounds like the first two, mm-hmm. but I don't know how comfortable they are in this guise. I think that's what's kind of thrown me a bit with this, their last two singles, because their first two albums were so different to this. Jamie XX has obviously gone, done his thing. Um, he's maybe at a bit more of a four f- figure now with them, like with like choosing samples and stuff but it's just I find it really hard to adjust my ear to recognise that this is the XX yeah no I agree with you on that I think to be fair you're dead right to point out Jamie XX and what he's been doing because he's obviously worked with you know proper pop juggernauts in the past year or two He's certainly kind of been drawing from you know different fields and I guess he is probably very comfortable doing Mm. it Um, I thought this was really good. I thought the voices suited well. Um, the voices are great. They are yeah. terrific. Both of them interplay exceptionally well. I, I quite I mean, like, you know, Romy gets a lot of praise, and rightly so, but I quite like his voice too. Um, however, I don't know if it really goes anywhere. And I mean, it is delicate. It is nice. But I liked On Hold a lot more. I thought, and granted, like, you know, a lot of that was just to do with the Hall Notes thing. And, and also just kind of how, you know, they went for it. And it's funny because they were on Saturday Night Live and they played it. And, you know, it was just funny to see the xx dance yeah Yeah. like even swinging that bass guitar around like you know and i was like what who is this yeah their video for on hold like i watched it late one night and i was quite tired and i literally thought i was half asleep i was like no this what this is mental like i must say it's a record that i am looking forward to hearing very much this friday early signs are good but then again early signs are good from people who i know would like them like i think are you know kind of on board with what they do already Mm. so maybe it's not that much of a shake-up the singles might be deceptive but we'll i'm sure we'll be reviewing it on here more early signs of an upcoming record uh from london grammar their new track is called Rooting For You. It sounds like this. Because I know it's all for you. And I guess, I guess it is hell and you are the Yeah, so that's the new one three years after their first record. Um, what are we expecting from the sophomore edition? Can I posit more of the same? More of the same, I would suspect. And uh, I'm, it's, they're one of those bands that went away for so long, kind of went away so quietly that I was like, are they quietly done? I saw them play in Wren at the end of 2013, which I can't quite believe is three years ago, when I went to a festival over there for Drown and Sound. And they're really good. And 
I was more kind of struck by some of the crowd around me. There was a French guy next to me who was disgraceful. He was like, take your fucking top off, you slut. And I was like, this is gross. What the fuck? It's a French tree, isn't it? And then she did take her jumper off one because she, she was like, oh, sorry, it's really warm. And she, went, and she went off stage and came back on. And he, he must have been a convincing man. And then, and then he just kept like shouting obscenities at her. and like, But not even shouting them. Like, in a real casual way while like rolling a cigarette while like looking down at the ground. It was the most French. Holding a baguette on no, the roof of the No, he wasn't doing that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it was very distracting to say the least. Okay. Uh, they were good though. Uh, the cover of Night Call is, is fun, even though I'm not really into the whole let's strip a song back to make it all somber type mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, which is a lot of me dancing around what I think about this track, and it doesn't really go anywhere, does it? And not I know I just said that about the XX, but this is a real. Like, this is a really like. This sounds like a four minute anywhere. teaser for a song, like, yeah. not an album. Like, where's the song? It's too. It, it's at least two minutes too long. I feel the four minutes for this song is too much because there it is so slow and you're expecting a build up and there's just nothing. Tell the listeners what you told me earlier on. What? Uh, Your not, opinion of London Grammar. I just said I'm not really a fan. That's not what she said. What did she what say? What did I say? She used extreme terms. Oh. Come on. We're all friends here. There's no secrets. I hate London Grammar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, see, here's the thing. What's the hate, though? They're kind of... Well, no, here's the thing. Highbrow in the middle. I feel as though if you (laughs) gave somebody any six or seven London Grammar songs on a mixtape, say, you could probably build... You trying to woo somebody here, Colin? No, you could build... (laughs) No, as in just together, (laughs) in a playlist or whatever. You could build a band for them to hate. The whole point is that they kind of do the sort of more lively dynamic stuff and the more peeled back stuff and... You know, it it works. It does work. I quite like that first record. Um, I can still see, however, that, you know, even if they got the set listing wrong at a live gig, it could fall to shit. They were very good when I saw them. They were. Yeah. I was going to say, like, live, they're probably a much better experience than... than it still felt rough around the edges and it still felt like a band. Because in, interestingly, to contrast it with the XX, I saw them play Electric Picnic a few years ago. I think they were on before Cigarose and... That gig turned out to be a bit of a shambles, not because of them, but because of the crowd who treated it like they were in a beer garden. But for some reason, people shut the fuck up for the XX beforehand. And I remember thinking, like, it was kind of only getting to dusk, and they were on the main stage. And I was like, this isn't going to work. But I was transfixed. I was like, this is actually terrific. I mean, she does have an amazing voice. Which she well, has well, a well, grammar, though. Like, 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 yeah. Well, on the grammar, what I say as a contrast is, I'm not sure that they're at that level yet. And I'm curious to see if, the, if, this, if this second album will do it. And what I would say is, to be fair, this song, which is not the most straightforward as a single does speak to confidence and therefore mm. I am well I would have been curious anyway but I'm now I'm very curious how this fits in so I, that's exactly I, uh, it I'm yeah. rooting for them guys hey oh. yeah I mean like look if, if this if this song is surrounded by like you know like something like hey now on one side and wasting my young years on the other you'll say okay there's a 13 minute passage of album and only four of it is down and the rest mm. is up and you know the dynamics are actually going to work if this is a sample of what we can expect for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah, no. Finally this week, uh, it's a bit of a blast from the past. Um, a song that's been dug up uh, from the archives uh, from one Elliot Smith. You 
It's called I Figured You Out. Elliot Smith described it as sounding like the fucking Eagles. <laughs> it's not quite that for me, but uh, what did you make of it? I really liked it. Of the four songs, this was my favourite. And it was a nice... I wasn't too familiar with Elliot Smith's music beforehand, so it was a nice kind of segue. I spent the afternoon then in work listening to Either Or, which mm-hmm. was around this time that he wrote this song. Um, I really liked it. I don't feel that this song sounds 20 years old at all. No, it I think it sounds really relevant. I really liked his voice. I liked the uh, musicality of it. Um, yeah. 10 out of 10 for me. I wouldn't quite go that far, but I think it's great. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's interesting to kind of look at like this, obviously with the veil of the fact that he's long gone mm. and died tragically over it. But, you know, this is a real situation for me of one man's trash being another man's treasure. I think mm. this is great. I mean, like, you know, he seems to have, or he seemed to not respect it too much and kind of almost resented it. It was a cast off. He gave it to another artist. Mm. Uh, it's come about now, you know, some many years on. And, yeah, I was struck as well by just how modern it sounds. Yeah. Not in any kind of, like, you know, gauche way, but I think it's really contemplative, as you would expect from him. But, yeah. there, but there is a sharp edge to it as well. There's a bit of a sneer There is, going on and that's great. I mean, like, like, yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear more of this. Like, like, and I am very wary when it comes to uh, posthumous archival things coming out. We talked before about we don't want to hear too much uh, more Bowie or Cohen stuff for many years, if possible, because you don't want to taint the immediate legacy. With Elliot Smith, though, like if if these tracks are lying around, I'm very curious to hear yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely, and especially kind of like coming as it did, like you say, around the either or part of his career. That was sort of a, a turning point, I guess, for him in, yeah. in in terms of critical and and mainstream success and all the rest of it, and stylistically. And yeah, like I don't know, maybe was this just kind of the step a bit too far he felt at the time but it did um, he gave it to his tour mate uh, mm. Mary Lou Lord um, and she, like he performed every, like all the instruments on and, and he produced it but it did actually become a part of his live repertoire for a bit um, but yeah as you said like it's really interesting to hear from such a like a launch pad a moment in his career when Gus Van Sant heard the al- like the album um, Either Or and he chose three songs uh, for Goodwill Hunting and then the aftermath of like where he went after this I think it's really cool well, I like a lot interestingly the launch pad of his career like you say and it was his third album mm. and that is the focus <laughs> of this week's top ten uh, because we were listening to uh, Elliot Smith's third album earlier this week. We were also listening to Run the Jewels' third album, which we'll be discussing in a few minutes' time. I started looking at third albums in general, and it turns out that basically, you know the whole cliche of a difficult second, third album? Or difficult second album, should I say? Well, the difficult third album just doesn't exist. Most people seem to storm it. Third albums, going back through history, I mean, like, you got The Smiths, like, The Queen is Dead, Born to Run, OK Computer, London Calling, After the Gold Rush. All of these were third albums. Hell, you go back to last year, right? Three of our top five, James Blake, Bonnie Vare, Frank Ocean, all third albums. It seems to be where people really find their form. And so that's why, in typical fashion, I went the other way. The ten most disappointing <laughs> third albums in history. Now, and I, I sh- will say this before you get started, not to cut you off, but I, I don't know this list. But I'm aware of one thing on this list, and I know I'm not happy about it. Listen, we can argue as we go. We will. And, yeah, to be fair as well, by the way, I've kind of put in the last 20 years, because I think, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot. Are we going, like, descending order here? Do you have, like, a number one categorical this is? Oh, yeah. If it's the one, I think it is. Number 10 is The weekend and Starboy. Oh. That's fair. 
Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, I mean, like, again, that calls into question about, you know, mixtapes and albums, and etc. But yeah, it is technically his third record. So yeah, I mean, we've discussed it at length and it was a massive disappointment. He'd set a standard for himself and he just didn't seem to meet it. And I guess that's kind of the, the theme of this list, so to speak. Number nine, Lady Gaga and Art Pop. Oh, yeah. I think even hardcore yeah. Gaga fans would agree with you on that one. That, that, that seemed to go down like a lead balloon. Yeah, that was not good. It seemed to be the point where she just kind of ran short of ideas, in a way. That, and then, it just, yeah, she just went really quiet then afterwards. Yeah, it yeah. was kind of her jumping the shark moment. We got a we got perfect illusion off her last record, though, which was number three in my top ten worst songs of 2016. <laughs> and as I said in that list, and I'll say it again, I'm still not convinced that that was mixed. <clears throat> number eight on my list of most disappointing albums, our third albums, is Battles and Laddie Daddy. Now, I'm not sure if you were ever a Battles fan. I was. I, oh, I was yeah, a I huge Battles yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. And when Ty Braxton left after the first record, Mirrored, which is a fucking oh, incredible oh, record. so good. I kind of assumed that it was all going to fall to shit, but they managed to get like people like Gary Newman and... Uh, That's a good track, My Machines. Yeah, and that one from Blonde Redhead in for the second album. And like they use a guest vocals and stuff. It, like They got away with it, basically. Yeah. It was a very good record. And, yeah, and then the third one. It just all went wrong. I mean, like, uh, battles hold a special place in my heart because, like, around the year, kind of 2007, uh, like 2006, 2007, 2008 were kind of my, my formative getting into music properly again years and, like, mm-hmm. really kind of going beyond what I was just, like, the box I put myself into. And battles were a big part of breaking out of that box. And I remember being over in Galway in the Roshan Dove with my gun Fred Adam, and I fucking adored Atlas. And they were playing the whole seven-minute version of it. And my friend Adam <gasps> hates that song oh, to the no. point where he abandoned me on the dance floor in the Roshian Dove to go upstairs and have a smoke. And I was like, I'm staying, mate. I am <laughs> staying and I'm going to dance with whoever I'm going to dance with for seven minutes. And I loved every sweaty second of it. <laughs> Why They're, not? I saw them I saw, I saw them with Tionda as well mm-hmm. uh, in, I think it was Vicar Street, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think I was at that gig as well. Terrific, terrific gig. I think the Redneck Manifesto supported them that night, yep. perhaps. And uh, one last note on them. Tionda Braxton put out his solo record there last year, I think it was, the year before. Dreadful. Just experimental noise that doesn't do anything. Awful, awful, awful. Just in case that was John Stanier ringing the doorbell there, we'd better move on. (laughs) Uh, Number seven, and I know you're not going to be happy with this, Dave. Get ready to argue. It's the strokes. Yes. Why don't you guys both posit your nonsense opinions first, huh? Well, I remember when First Impressions of Earth came out, and I was thoroughly devastated. It was just... The direction I didn't want them to go, it was so, like, gr- like, contrivedly gritty and horrible. Like, it was just awful. There's no words. I just remember being, how old is that? I'm like, 10 years old? 2005, that? I believe. Or started yeah. 2006, maybe. January 2006, perhaps. I was working in Extravision at the time. Yeah. Either way, about 11 years. Yeah, so I just remember being, in, in my teenage years, had a lot of hope in these guys, and then they brought this out, and I just, it made me lose a lot of interest in the strokes. The phrase that jumps to mind for me is grasping at straws. Mm. It, it's ambitious, but in the sense that desperation involved as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just, I was so disappointed, especially given that, like, you know, is this, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. And Room on Fire, it, it's not as good, but it's still a strong record. It has its moments. And this, yeah, this sounded like when the sort of band of a generation realized they maybe didn't have all that much to say. It's definitely sprawling. And it, it goes on too long. It has its problems, but I don't think it's anywhere near the train wreck that some people think it is. I think it's some of the, some of their best songs. I mean, like it has like Ease the World is phenomenal. Juicebox is a terrific lead single. 
uh, I think it's really, really strong. I, I, I think it's different. I think they really fell to shit in the following records. I think they, they have not gone anywhere back to where they could have been. Mm. You could argue that it's the band that broke the strokes in a certain way, but I think that they have a lot of good stuff on there and, it, and a terrific opening track as well. Uh, I think it holds up. I think it's an interesting failure if it is if it is indeed a failure. And I don't think... Okay, fine, it belongs on the list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, number six is Ryan Adams and Demolition. Now, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> now, to, also, to be fair to the guy, though, I, like, if I remember correctly, this was actually a kind of a, a Frank Ocean Prince move. It was contractual stuff that he kind of pulled out some B-sides and some older tracks to put on this record. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd recorded like Heartbreaker and Gold before this. Uh, quite the step down, to be fair. Yeah. Number five is Kings of Leon and Because of the Times. Uh, this is a band that, I mean, you know, I think their later career has maybe coloured some people's opinions of those early albums. Because I can remember when Youth and Young Manhood landed and it was fresh, it was exciting. I mean, what made it fresh and exciting was the fact that it wasn't all that fresh. It was kind of fuzzy, lo-fi shit. And this then was the album where they suddenly decided, right, we're a stadium band now. I don't know. I have. I think it's as well. It's. I vividly remember when that album came out. I. It was around the time of my seventeenth birthday, and they had coincidentally a song on it called Seventeen. And I was like, "That's this." Oh, I don't think this is the worst third album. To be honest, I really well, don't. No, it's, I think it's not about the worst third album. It's just the drop from where they had been. Yeah, they had been at like a yeah, like the first two albums were really yeah okay, no. This tired argument of those first two Kings of Leon records being like the fucking second coming of Christ yet again. No, they weren't. I am the rolling my eyes harder than I rolled them this morning when I saw that new Ben Affleck gangster movie. The end of that film is a disgrace. It's a bad movie. Um, yeah, it's no. I mean, this album is weak for sure. It's got its problems. Uh, I'm not a fan really of any major stretch of the Kings of Leon career. But I think if I was going to pick one album to listen to, it'd be this one. Yeah. Really? No. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I wouldn't. De- I definitely wouldn't say it's. Like they're worst, or it wouldn't annoy There's me the crawl most. On this one. Yeah, yeah, that's a belter. Yeah, it uh, has a lot of belters, and like it's with you saying, on this? yeah, Clo- oh, closer is good, man. That's with a good you song. saying, it's Dave, a stadium what album. What is going on? It's a good song. You, this is going. Closer to was great. Two nights ago, okay. Why? Why must you publicly shame me? Because you mentioned Creed to me, and then I had to go listen to them because I was just standing there going. What did the intro to that song go to again? Can we Come just on, fifteen year old? Can we just agree that the intro to Bullets by Creed sounds awesome? It's insane. Take a listen to this, folks. on the first episode of the new season oh why not we're, we're, we're wild cards Dave. that is the sound of, of, <laughs> of unsubscriptions by the mass okay the a band that at least we mass, can agree get it they were about religion creed <laughs> a band that we can agree uh, were good uh, maybe back now are back to being good 
but uh, definitely had a misstep. Number four, Interpol, our love to admire. Ironically, their major label debut, they made Turn On The Bright Lights and Antics while they were signed to Matador, uh, signed their big, uh, their big first deal, or their first big deal, should I say. And this was meant to be the breakthrough record, and yeah, it's a dud. Much like with The Strokes, they're never going to recapture that form of glory of that first record. It's just not going to happen. And And I think also like The Strokes, this was an album that was kind of like high on confidence and on ambition, but just really short of ideas. Yeah. See, whereas I think with Kings of Leon, they had been so like, probably as well, like the management behind them were just like so force feeding them how to sound as well. So maybe Interpol and The Strokes just didn't really have that. Yeah, they've kind of brought it back a little bit in recent years. Uh, I know Stuart Clark singing um, All the Rage Back Home. All the Rage Back Home. <laughs> in Hoffer's office might have put you off that song, but it's a belter. It's a great song. Dave's great Word song. of the Week. Belter. Yeah, and what's, what's more, actually, when I finally got the chance to see them uh, for the first time in like a decade or something at Electric Picnic last year, they were very enjoyable. I saw them in the Olympia beforehand a few months prior, and they were excellent. Yeah. I'd say they're an amazing Terrific band, yeah. So yeah, like I say, maybe things are on their way back up after that one. Uh, number three, this one, I don't even know if people know the existence of this. Christina Aguilera and My Kind of Christmas. Quite incredibly, this was Christina Aguilera's third album, right? What's more, her second album was entirely in Spanish. Oh yeah! It's almost like she didn't want anybody to listen to her. <laughs> what, what kind of Christmas does she like though? Well, a Christmas that sounds like this. So yeah, if your family wasn't singing this year a hip-hop-influenced Christmas song uh, this (laughs) holiday season, yeah, that pretty much makes my argument for me, I think. Fair enough. Next. Next is The Streets and the Hardest Way to Make an Easy Living. Now, I know Dave isn't a fan of the early Streets album. I'm going to just sit this one out. I think original pirate material is a masterpiece. I think it is an absolutely superb record. I do agree that A Grand Don't Come For Free has, you know, a couple of dodgy moments. I think, frankly, he just got a bit too married to the idea of a concept album. Mm. But it still really worked. And this did not. What are your opinions on Mike Skinner? Um, I don't know. I never really got into the streets that much when I was younger and when they were relevant, if you could even say they were. Like, um, but I mean, I suppose like everyone couldn't get a bit teary-eyed to cry your eyes, mate. I mean, I did see, like Dave that. Dave hates that oh, song, Jesus. That, <laughs> that is... was intense. <laughs> describe, what, describe what just happened. So, Dave, <laughs> Dave was just casually looking at his phone and next to what I said, uh, what I said about Get teary about getting teary-eyed about cry your eyes. Dave took a big, huge like inhale of air and his head shot up like a Springer Spaniel had just heard a gun go off with the <laughs> royal family. <laughs> voluntary. Uh, again, an extrusion song and top 10 worst of all time. Top 10 worst songs of all time. No, by anyone, by anyone ever. Top, 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 top 10 worst songs of all time. <laughs> no. It is pathetic. A, d- a desperate attempt for relevancy. A horrific song. A you nightmare see, to you listen see, to. You see, this is the the thing. worst thing I've ever heard in my life. How many times, ha- I'm going to keep going. How many times have you listened to the record as a whole? I haven't. I can't remember. Because you see, this is the this is the point that I was making. You got so married to the idea of that concept album thing that, like that, that's literally the breakup song 
on the album and it mm. has to be a purely breakup song sort of thing it worked for me and yeah it was a bit too much but like i say great two records and then yeah it just it sounds like a guy who thinks that like if he doesn't finish the song in 40 minutes he's gonna miss his boss it sounded <laughs> cynical it's it sounded it was really really bad and number one and this can't be a huge surprise surely okay 20 years on still the reigning champ Oasis, be here now. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, there's You've... been a lot of retrospective think pieces about this, though, Cullum. A lot of uh, revisionism going on. A lot of people saying that it actually was a great record. No, most of the revisionism going on is all the fuckers who gave it five stars the day <laughs> it was released now going, ah, oh, we maybe got that wrong. There's yeah. been that as well. But there, no, there's, there's been a few. There's been a few, like, you know, this is a much more intelligent album than people gave it credit for back in the day. Yeah, I like, don't bollocks. think so. I mean, Frank, <laughs> frankly as well, look, I mean... If it took 20 years and that much retrospect for us to be able to appreciate it, then, you know, either they were way ahead of their time or they actually did completely fail on what they were trying to do. Because let's face it, they had all the momentum in the fucking world Mm -hmm. behind them at that point. They'd played, like, those Nebworth shows. They'd had two enormous records. And, like, if not quite the world at their feet, then, yeah, certainly they were in a position of just, like, insane power. And, yeah, this was just, like, so bloated, so overcooked and underthought. What was the lead single from that album? Uh, That would have been Do You Know What I Mean? Oh, okay. Um, Which isn't the worst track in the world. But the album was just shocking. It it, it sold a third of what it was expected to do in its first week in the US. And, frankly, for a band that, yeah, you know, had already made a little bit of a hames of breaking it over there. That was probably the final nail in the coffin. Yeah. All of which leads into our first album review of 2017, a third record in its own right. Will we be wondering, should it be on this list someday? But before we get going, we are instigating a rule this month when it comes to our album reviews. Cullum. Yeah, that's right. We mentioned briefly last year, Joshua Hughes was the one who brought it up, uh, that we could live in a land of no sevens. It's the world of no sevens. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Uh, album reviews will not be allowed to be given that perfectly normal... <laughs> On the fence. Uh, that's neutral, fine. It's... Okay, it's decent. Seven out of ten. No. We are going sixes or eights or indeed any other number that's not seven. So in a world of no sevens, how will Run the Jewels or TJ3 go down? Here's how it sounds. Okay, that's Talk To Me. It was the first proper single released from RTJ3 a few months ago. We reviewed it on the show. We were big fans. We are big fans of Run The Jewels. This was a surprise official leak by the band themselves, a Christmas Day present to the world. So we are counting this as a 2017 record, though, because it officially gets released. Technically, you know, if you've bought it on vinyl or if you want to pay hard cash for it, that would happen on the 13th. So what are we thinking? Uh, Zara, you take it away. So a lot of the reviews and like comments about this album online have 
basically been saying that this is Run the Jewels manifesto. This is them at their best. Um, they're aggressive. They're angry. They're political. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree that this is their best album. Um, it's taken me quite... It, it, it took me until my last listen really walking over here to really like the album um and like be convicted that I do like the album um I yeah it's it's a tricky one because their lyrics and like they're not as political I don't oh no sorry they are very political but I don't think that they speak for the mass of the people that they're trying to speak to and I don't think they do I don't think they do political lyrics in a way that they maybe think that they are I absolutely agree with you and it's something that I speculated about before not necessarily about this album but I kind of said you know when you saw like Killer Mike sitting down with Bernie Sanders and you saw them kind of getting involved in like towards the election cycle Mm -hmm. and everything else you kind of said well what messages could they have in the future what sort of stuff could they say lyrically um i don't think this is lyrically a strong album no. i i listen to albums right and and this is a kind of a test that you can use with rap it especially works mm-hmm. that if you were playing it for someone who hasn't heard the album but you're very familiar with it how many times did you stop a conversation suddenly and gone ha- go hang on listen to this bit as in like there's some great wordplay here yeah. or the flow is awesome yeah, or there's yeah. a really clever point or whatever and, you know, there are certain records and you'd stop somebody every two minutes. And on this, I mean, I think you might stop them twice in the whole album. Mm. The thing is, it's really difficult to be overly critical about this because it's kind of what we asked for. We said all along that if RTJ3 is just a sequel to RTJ1 and RTJ2, that it doesn't change anything up much, that it's not full of new ideas, that we don't mind that. And now it's almost like buyer's remorse in a way. Like you've you've worked in retail. You can't just walk in a month later and go, I thought I wanted this. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, I didn't love this album, but at the same time, have they kind of delivered what they always said they were going to? Perhaps. I don't know. Like, and another thing that kind of struck me about this album is that like the things that surround it, say like the artwork and like the samples, so like say the Martin Luther King sample, mm. those things to me were kind of more signifiers of them saying something bigger. Like in they did an interview with Spin recently and they were talking about their artwork. And um I have like a quote here, it's kinda of long, but I'll try to get through pretty quick. So they said, for us, RTJ1 hands were about taking what's yours, your world, your attitude, your life. The RTJ2 hands were wrapped in bandages, signifying injury and healing, which for its represent, which for us represented the growth and ideas and the tone of that album. For RTJ3, the bandages are off, the chain is gone and the hands have been transformed into gold. For us, this represents the idea that there is nothing to take that exists outside of yourself you are the jewel so i don't know i think that's like what they're trying to say but i don't think that's what they've done it's fan service and this was evident in the fact that lp gave out about a negative it wasn't even that negative a a review that he got um like online about this record like 3.8 out of 5 and granted it wasn't the best written review i've ever seen um but he fucking you know put this up on twitter and was like it's not what the fans think 
and then started retweeting a bunch of people being like, how dare this idiot, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And you're like, come on, LP, you expect better from him. Mm. Um, I mean, a few things uh, to touch upon what you guys have said there. First of all, uh, Cullum, I learned about customer remorse in a very <laughs> similar fashion. Uh, I, I, I got the Chemical Brothers album Surrender back in the day. Yeah. And I gave it a few lessons, and I didn't like it. And I tried to go back and get my money back, and they were like, no. They were like, no, silly rabbit. Uh, and then I learned to love that record. Okay. Um, whereas, Zara, I think you kind of nailed it when you were like on the way over, you are saying like, you know, you, you're convinced whether you like it or not. That's actually something I didn't quite click with until you just said it. And I got to say, in the strictest sense of the words, I don't like this record. Mm-hmm. I love the first two records, mm. and I don't like this one. I don't enjoy it. Uh, it, it became a bit of a chore to have to kind of get through it for, to, to kind of come down on it and I mean like there's so much to unpack as there often is with the Run the Jewels record because there's so much going on and mm-hmm. as you say you know, you, you know you're kind of hesitant to criticise too much not just because we kind of got what we wanted here or at least what we asked for but because there's an awful lot going on mm-hmm. even when it seems a bit kind of surfacey and I mean granted it starts off in LP immediately does a Jaws reference and you're like come on that's a bit and I know they reference films all the time and you know, he follows up pretty quickly with, an, with, with a lesser-known Untouchables reference, so fair enough. But there's just it just feels almost going through the motions here and there. And the problem with that happening is that there are some real personal moments um, throughout as well. And I feel like it's muddled. And I feel like, you know, like a great film trilogy, the third one's always the weakest. Yeah, it's mm. like whether or not they felt as, you know, somewhat constrained by, you know, what this album was going to be and what this project was going to be, like, because they said this was going to be, like, you know, the kind of the end of the trilogy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That you know, maybe they didn't want to make purely personal records or per- purely personal tracks. That they still had to have, you know, those pop culture references or the kind of weird self centrist approach to lyrics at times. Like yeah. it feels like every second verse could start with our names are on the jewels. I and know we're here to that say. really annoys me. Yeah, but you know, and even like there's one of the songs. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's like. Uh, Run the Jewels Live at the Garden. It's called Ticketron. I knew you were going to say it. It sounds like like an ad for Run the Jewels playing in Madison Square Garden. But even that whole thing as well, like, there were moments uh, during the album and they've become, like, figures in a video game as well. Um, A lot of the songs just sounded like they're gearing up to be featured in really awful, like, comedy films or, like, do you know those kind of summer blockbuster hits? Yeah. That's what it felt like for me. Yeah. Um, And even, like, the guests that feature on this album, I don't think they're utilised in the best possible way that they could be. Like, Danny Brown's verse um, at the end of Hey Kids, I actually, I was really underwhelmed by that. Uh, My favourite feature was Kamazi Washington. Um, that's on Thursday in the Danger Room yeah. and that is an example of maybe the best song on the record because that is the most personal song on the record that deals with the loss of one of LP's friends and one of Killer Mike's friends two different people uh, Killer Mike's empathy is one of his strongest suits and he has like to pick out a few lyrics here like his empathy shines on this song when he talks about a friend of his who was shot dead and says no killer was captured but I know he's listening so I'd like to tell you in song the streets was a jungle I pray that you made it I hope that you righted your wrongs I hope that you learn I hope that you change so your mom won't know this pain so my homie's name will mean something more than the guy who got killed for a chain. And again, you know, Killer Mike, just the way he the way he, he can he can wrap his his kind of cadence around this kind of mm. thing is incredible. And I mean, even like you know, to look at it from that point of view, like like he's offering up forgiveness. And it's it's actually a nice counterbalance to the song Crown on Run the Jewels Two, where mm. Mike finds himself in a situation where someone who he was apologizing to takes him by the hand and is like, I'm fine. You need to get right with you. I wanted more of that. 
And I think LP at one point on his Twitter was saying that he was unsure about putting the song on the record because it was almost too personal. No, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. you see, again, I really do think that they felt constrained in that way. And I think that that last track, it, it report to the shareholders, Kill Your Masters. With yeah. Zach Della Rocca doing a cool Zach Della Rocca verse. But and again, do- I want more. And it, yeah. and, but it does sound like the sort of, like, it does sound like the transition track that could bring us to a more personal fourth record. And this is the other thing that was really standing out in my head. Uh, when kind of considering, you know, how do I feel about this record? How do you rate this record? Like, there's two questions. Number one, like, can you divorce this from Run the Jewels 1 and 2 and view it as its own standalone piece? Because I think if you can, if you can just, like, forget those records ever existed, this is not, like, empirically weak by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah no. If you were talking, you know... Would this make, okay, maybe not top 20, but top 30, top 40, top well, 50 I, I'm records reminded that actually, heard this year? Yeah, perhaps. I'm reminded of a film review of uh, the new Martin Scorsese film, Silence, which I actually saw during the week as well as a tough film, um, in which the guy reviewing it says, look, this is no dud. Martin Scorsese doesn't do duds. Yeah. Mm. Killer Mike and LP don't do duds. No. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so, yeah, th- this is not an empirically bad record. The other thing, though, to think about is... I mean, we, we've talked a lot of the time before about, like, you know, this record. It might need some a lot of time to you know judge it and we mean sort of you know five or ten more listens you know give us give us a fortnight or a month or three months or whatever this could take years to really evaluate because it kind of depends what comes next that if this is like the the final chapter of run the jewels in this guise so to speak or, or with this approach then it's probably a worthwhile exercise because it's given us a slightly larger sort of bank of material that we'll be able to revisit when they do something else entirely. See, this is the kind of weird sticking point because I'm in agreement with both of you in that this does feel like a self-centered record for a group that genuinely do care about not only mm. their fans but the people around them. They do. And like, mm. you know, like, like this mm. is not it's, not, it's not a front, it's not a mask. But this does feel almost like a record that they were quite happy with as in they're, they're too comfortable, I think. And... I mean, like, here's a quote from LP on a Pitchfork interview that went up today. And Now, granted, I'm worried about taking this out of context because it does come at the end of a long interview. But at the same time, I think the words hold weight. He said, you know, kind of, I think it was a general kind of like, where are you at now and what have you learned? And like, how do you feel about the albums that you're making? And he said, I, I had reduced my ambition to trying to make great records. And that's when I was reborn. I was like, oh, wow, that should have been the point the whole time. I spent the first half of my career trying for everything, uh, trying to be everything for everybody else. I had to realize, man, you have to be who the fuck you are. That's what I encourage any artist to do. Just stop giving a fuck as soon as possible. Now that's dangerous because that cuts mm-hmm. both that that cuts both ways. And I feel like you know, yeah, they're having fun and that's great. But I want LP to be pissed off now and go off and do his own thing. And I want Killer Mike to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps, or allow them to both do their thing, but with this sort of mindset of what Run the Jewels was and is, and and you know that trilogy is done now. Yeah, you can reinvent yourselves in some way, or you can write you know an album of those personal songs that you didn't feel comfortable throwing in as part of you know as one song on a collection of what you'd been doing. And before. to be fair, it makes sense. Cancer for Cure was in partly response to the death of LP's friend, and he mm. that's a very angry record. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they went this way. And to be fair, this has revitalized them totally. It's revitalized mm. them both individually and as a collective. But I just fear that. They've hit a wall. And also, it's the album out of the three that they spent the longest working on, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, again, you know, is that just because they're kind of, you know, if not quite scraping the bottom of the barrel, Mm. then certainly finding the sort of last bits of of inspiration and material that they have sort of, you know, in this vein, I suppose. Yeah. Something as well that I was constantly, like, had my ear open for with this album was just kind of the 
like crassness of love again like I just loved how that was so like not involved with anything that was socially happening like it was just totally their world and as like crude as it was it's a as you would say, a belter. It's a banger and a belter. But I mean, like, like, there was no moment of this. By the same token, and I know this shouldn't be used as a stick to beat them with at all, but there is no close your eyes and can to fuck here. No. And there's yeah. nothing close to it, though. No. And you're no. kind of like, that's strange. I mean, talk to me is, is like, you know, the kind of the most firebrandy thing on here in terms of immediacy and that kind of potency. Mm-hmm. Mm. And granted, like, I mean, like, all fucking respect in the world for trying to make deeper cuts, but it just almost feels quite samey yeah yeah there definitely is that and especially when you know there there is a bank of material before this from two records that it's probably going to be compared to as well it probably magnifies the repetition even more it's a world of no sevens guys so where do we fall on this six yeah, I've I've honestly got to say I would completely pussy out and go for seven normally. It's a six. I'm going five. Wow. That's Ooh-ha. strong. Like, um, I, like I say, come back to me in five years. I might have changed my mind. But saying that as <laughs> well, like I have, I just saw here, like I have one, two, three, like four songs that like I have as kind of noted standout songs. So mm. like, oh, yeah, like it's, I say, it's not an offensive, al- like it's fine. Yeah. I don't think it's an empirically weak album. No. Um, I just think that yeah, maybe because of what's gone before it, maybe because of what we feel them to possibly be capable of in the future. Um, yeah, maybe we do feel a bit of let down, but yeah, yeah. we'll get over it, guys, right? <laughs> we will. And we ho- will. And, uh, Love again. Hopefully, hopefully we'll find them over here soon as part of their tour, which I believe is being expanded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I will personally throw garlands of flowers and apologies their way if I find myself <laughs> in the pit to see them uh, because they're still terrific and they still hold a place in my heart mm. but uh, yeah on the pod. took this yeah. one personally um, <laughs> as LP did on Twitter I uh, hope he doesn't come after me on Twitter now but if he does LP you can find us on Twitter at No Encore Show <laughs> damn right you can find me on Twitter at Hammy Dave him uh, who never uses his Twitter at Colm Regan 1 I think I'm going to start again at Zara and at Zara Hederman hey. for uh, puns on occasion on occasion and other great things too so uh, as always we close each episode with an Irish band or an Irish act and uh, yeah send me your music music at headstuff.org if you want to get involved or track me down on Twitter as I said before this week playing us out is a band that actually take to the Workman's Club stage much like we will mm-hmm. on March the 2nd by the way we're, at, we're, we're, we're no encore live March the 2nd Ooh. Workman's Club <laughs> but this band uh, Gallants are playing on the 23rd of January the supporting beat slang I like these guys they're good. Yeah. And yeah. um, this track that we're going to play is called Juan. Hope I'm getting that right. Uh, it's from their self-titled debut EP that came out at the end of November. And it, they're a noise pop band from Dublin who incorporate the jangled pop tones of Teenage Fan Club, the fuzzed out assault of Dinosaur Jr. and the reverberated bombast of My Bloody Valentine. And you know what? They kind of pull it off. Yeah, no, no, no. I do like these guys. I must say, yeah, they've impressed me. I came across them a few years ago and yeah, I'm digging it. Very good. Well, they will play us out this week. Uh, as ever, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And uh, this is Gallant. This is one. We will be back next week. And so will Craig, I hope. Please, God.
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Who the fuck is at the door? You don't own me. Booking a room with two beds at a hotel isn't exactly your idea of a romantic getaway. Orbitz gets it. Visit orbits.com slash pride to find hotels that welcome you to travel as you are. Orbits, travel as you are. So just let me be myself to say and do whatever I Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.